Hello and welcome to Bagpipe Nation for April 28th, 2011. I'm here with uh, my illustrious co-host, Vin Janowski. How are you doing, Vin? Good day. And uh, uh, we're going to do a little pre-recorded session for you today um, <clears throat> uh, in regards to how to practice for success. I um, taught a class at the Oren Moore Spring Training Workshop, which was... I guess two two weeks ago now because last weekend was Easter, um, but uh, this class went over pretty well and we had lots of good comments about it. So we thought we'd share it with the um, I don't know greater pipe band universe, Bag pipe nation, as it were. That's right. And so Vin is going to pose as the uh, as the uh, the student population, and I'm going to kind of rehash the topics that I've talked about. Right. So, Vin, let's start by asking you, uh, how should you practice, uh, you know, in order to improve? Right. Well, maybe, maybe you should, you should pre- you preface it a little bit. Like, I mean, you know, everybody, you know, we all sort of conventionally know that practice is important, right? But I would say, what, what would you say is, you know, the percentage of pipers out there who practice maybe effectively? As a, sort of a the percentage of pipers out there that practice effectively, yeah. uh, in, infinitesimally small. <laughs> so it's another, in other words, it's important just as much to think about your practice routine as it is, you know, the actual music you're playing. Correct. Well, I think that um, um, generally that's the case. Yeah. Um, right. Yeah, I use I use the analogy of. Uh, if any of you know me, you know I'm uh, <clears throat> at least slightly overweight. And, uh, you know, if I want to, uh, if I decided one day that I wanted to run a marathon, um, what would you say about that? You'd say... After the, after the giggles? <laughs> yeah, like you might chuckle to yourself and you might say, whoa, okay. Um, <clears throat> but my point would be, uh, you know, my point would be, um, A... Would it be possible for me to run a marathon? I would say absolutely. Um, it's definitely possible. However, I'm obviously going to have to prepare and um, prepare in a way that uh, you know works in order to be able to achieve that goal. Uh, for example, if I decide I'm going to run a marathon, and so like today is my first day of training. Hold on one second here. Technical, minor technical glitch. There we go. Can you still hear me, Vin? Yeah, that's okay. much better. So if I decided that I wanted to run a marathon and today was my first day of training, uh, should I just go out and try to run a marathon today? <laughs> well, if after the visit to the hospital, I'll give you my answer. <laughs> yeah, exactly. I would probably – I mean, and I could tell you, I, I can actually run – I can run a 5K – uh, you know, doing about roughly a 10 minute mile. So I'm not like absolutely ridiculously out of shape, but obviously, um, at, well, and at the end of the 5k, I'm usually about ready to die. So 5k is what is it? One eighth of a marathon. Something like that. Yeah. yeah. So, um, you know, I would have to, I would have to run, uh, for four straight hours instead of half an hour. That would be a marathon. And yeah. so obviously to go out and to try to run a marathon on day one, uh, that would be not the most intelligent way uh, to achieve my desired result. Um, right. What would you, to, to stay on the topic of marathon running, what would you say that 
um, I should probably think about doing in order to prepare? Well, it's, it's, it's pretty obvious. I mean, actually, it reminds me that I was just reading a, reading about this. Uh, it, was a, it was a blog this guy started. He's, you know, in Malcolm Gladwell's book, Outliers, there's, you know, he makes this a big deal out of this, uh, this point that it takes 10,000 hours to become expert at something. 10,000 hours of practice, right? And, and most people who are really good at something um, have done that and more. Um, this guy has set out to quit his job and set out to become a pro golfer with no golfing experience whatsoever. Hasn't even ever, never even swung a club. And he figures, okay, if the 10,000 hour rule is correct, then he's going to use himself as a human guinea pig and find out, and he's going to learn how to play golf and, and do the PGA circuit at some point <laughs> after the ten, and see what, where the 10,000 hours will get him. So, you know, the blog is very funny. It's like, you know, it takes him down on this journey, and he finally convinced this, this excellent golf coach to teach him. And he taught him, he started him off by putting three feet from the hole. <laughs> that was it. That's, that was his yeah. first lesson. And he would not get another club until he mastered uh, each successive step. So once he put three feet from the hole, he would then put five feet from the hole. And once he mastered that, he would put eight feet from the hole. And, uh, and little by little, uh, and once he got off the green, he would then get another club and practice sort of chipping. And until he mastered that, he wouldn't get another club. So he hasn't even driven the ball yet <laughs> across the green. Because he's working, essentially working backwards from the finish, sinking the ball in the hole. Yes. So, um, so it's it's kind of the same principle, you know. Run a marathon, you know. If you're going to start training, you're going to start running. If you can run 5K, that's your benchmark. Um, you know, once you become proficient and comfortable running 5K without effort, you probably um, are ready for the next step. Sure, and I think you know once you get once you get more serious about running. And if you were to talk to a professional running teacher, um, they might tell you different approaches. But generally speaking, I think you're you're highlighting the key uh, the key component uh, to practicing well, uh, which is you have to smart you have to start with the bite sized chunks that you can do, and you have to um, you know you have to practice that until um, it's correct every time, um, almost or maybe even uh, you know factually instinct you know so that's instinctual so um and that and you know and that's how you're going to build the skills required to play really well so you know maybe just running 5k's is not the best way to start to train for a marathon um i really couldn't tell you i'd like to maybe talk to some marathon runners but i know that there's lots of things to think about there's endurance you know um uh there's strength right obviously the more muscle strength you build um, the more efficient your running stride will be, you know, which brings me to form, right? Making sure I have correct form, um, so on and so forth. Um, and learning these skills and mastering them um, is probably the only way I'm going to be able to achieve running a marathon. Are you with me so far? I'm with you. Okay. So how many, now we'll go back to how many pipers practice proficiently. And, um, <clears throat> You know, uh, I'm not even necessarily including myself in someone that always practices uh, the best way. Although um, I think over time I've acquired a pretty good uh, regime. But how many pipers do you know that get their pipes out, play through material, and call it a practice session? Uh, lots. <laughs> I'll throw myself in that group too. Yeah, uh, certainly occasionally it's it's hard not to uh, give in to the temptation. Um, or, you know, how many basketball teams do you know that just scrimmage the whole time? You know? Right. 
Yeah, very few. Very few. Certainly very few good basketball teams would scrimmage for an entire practice. Um, and uh, I don't know, so just throw another analogy in there as a former basketball player. But, um, but yeah, so many Pipers simply um, just play through material um, and call it practice. Where, where in reality, I would argue that um, it's actually the opposite. Whereas if you're, if you're doing repetitions on a foundation of um, you know, inaccurate technique, you're doing the opposite of practicing. You're actually ingraining improper um, habits, illogical habits into your, um, uh, into your sort of palette of ability. You with me so far? I'm, I'm with you. Um, and so on that note, um, let, you know, let's take this sort of, um, this train, uh, this train of thought, let's take it, um, you know, and apply it practically to how we're going to practice. Um, so you've decided, you've decided you're not going to pull out your pipes and play through material. So then what do you do? You pull out your pipes and... That's right. And, and it may be pulling out your pipes, um, or it occasionally might be uh, playing on your practice channel. You need to decide what the best medium is. I would say that if you're at the point where, um, you know, if you're at the point where the goal is to play um, something on your bagpipes, for example, maybe your goal is... Um, to get your band material going really strong, or maybe your goal is to compete in a solo competition. Um, all of these things happen on the bagpipes, and um, if your goal is to play bagpipes, then the majority, the bulk of your practice um, can and should probably occur on the bagpipes as opposed to uh, the practice chanter. Obviously, um, the practice chanter is a great supplement, especially if you're practicing late at night or in your apartment building, or if you just have something quick that you want to think about, or if you're on your lunch break at work, practice channels are awesome. But um, a lot of people don't practice nearly enough on their pipes. Uh, but yes, so we're going to whip out the pipes. Uh, and now what do we do? Let's say, um, let's use as a general example, um, the, uh, I don't know, let's say a simple band tune. During my class at the spring training workshop, I used um, High Road to Gerlach, which is a um, pretty well-known um, pretty well-known tune. Hold on one second. I need to find a practice chanter. Not bad, right? Pretty quick. Okay. There you go. Okay, so uh, High Road to Gerlach, which goes like this. Um, and so on, right? That would be uh, the melody of High Road to Gerlach. So let's say we're working on this tune. Um, what What's the routine going to be? Um... I have in my uh, little sheet, which perhaps we can post to PyPacker, Ben. Maybe we can... Uh, That'd be easy. Yeah, post this PDF. But, um, you know, the best way to practice is with a brand new tune. Um, and the reason for that is because you don't have any preconceived notions. So you might try to find High Road to Gerlach and actually, go, you know, go through this routine and see what kind of success you have if you don't already know it. Um, it works best with a brand new tune. Um, if it's a tune you've already been playing for a while, there's a lot of 
uh, already ingrained preconceived notions, which, um, you know, uh, might be correct or might not. And it can be harder to uh, decode that, um, that kind of information. That being said, obviously, the, most of the practice we do as pipers um, is with tunes that we already know. Uh, it's going to be, the longer you've known the tune, in my experience, um, the harder it's going to be to really improve it. Um, and again, it's mainly because of these preconceived notions. So, um, either way, just keep that in mind as you practice. So, here's the, uh, here's the bottom line with the practice session. I'm going to start my Ben, are you still out there? I'm not, I'm not. Can you hear that? Yeah. It's raining. It's raining. Yeah, it just started raining here too. That's bizarre. <laughs> We're like 200 miles away. Um, okay, the bottom line here with my practice routine is I'm never going to leave a phrase until I can play it correctly. And phrases are, of course, segments of tunes. So uh, to continue to use the example of High Road to Gerlach, Right? That's phrase one. And the second phrase would be... Right? Those are the different phrases. And when I'm practicing, I'm never going to leave a phrase until I can play it correctly. Um, now, Vin, what does correctly mean? That's a good question. Vin, and by Vin, I mean the general student population. <laughs> um. That's the question, isn't it? When when you're by yourself, it's not people aren't usually sure whether they're playing it correctly or not. Uh huh. Um, that's and that's this is the big issue, and and this is where a lot of us just decide, ah, oh, forget it. I'm not gonna. I'm just gonna run through tunes because how do I know? Who am I to know? Um, you know the classic question: Who am I to know? Or I'll, or I'll leave gonna, that for the judge to figure out when I show up. You know, in the next three months or something. Yeah. So what is what does it mean? Never leave a phrase until you can play it correctly. What do I what do I really mean by that? Well, I mean it's going to have to be, uh, you know, it's got to fit into uh, I guess the the music that you're playing, whether it's two four march or, or something like that. I mean, um, I guess it's got to be it's got to be make musical sense. Um, your technique has got to be clean and clear. Um, and I would guess and I would guess that it's more more a technical aspect than anything else. Um, Personally, if you're just learning the tune, it's making sure the technique is fitting in properly. Yeah, um, I think it's uh, it's very interesting, and um, this this works for anyone, regardless of what level you're at. Uh, what I mean by never leave a phrase until you can play it correctly, I mean never never leave a phrase, never never move on from a segment of music uh, unless it matches uh, what you think it should sound like if it matches what you hear in your head or it sounds like what your instructor sounds like um, or for me I, I never leave something unless it sounds like what the top players are doing like you know some of my um, you know inspirations and influences might be Angus McCall or Stuart Little or Jack Lee or something um, if if my phrase doesn't sound like um, you know Jack Lee's does when he plays um, then I don't move on until I've evaluated it and I've decided. Um, and sometimes that when you get to the higher levels, you might decide, I like the way I play it better. You know, maybe it's just a small change and, you know, it's something that <clears throat> sounds good and you're, you're actually doing out of your own um, stylistic um, sense of how the music should go. Um, 
but notice still it's you still have an idea in your head and it needs to match it completely let me yeah. um, is that, i mean is that, is that is that more or less a, uh, um, a feeling of you know not necessarily if, is it correct but you know you know there's something just wrong about it um that's right you know. well well let's um let's let's do this i'm going to pretend uh, I'm, I'm going to pretend that I'm one of my uh, Scotia Glenville students, um, and we're working on this tune. Um, here, I'm going to play something that's not quite correct, um, but let's assume that we don't know, you know, uh, we, if we're at different levels, we might know exactly what the problem is, but let's pretend we didn't. So here's, here's what I'm going to play, and um, yeah, so... Okay, something, I, I'm going to play that again. S- something wasn't quite right. That's what I'm thinking in my head. See, I might not know, I might not have any idea what it is, but I know it's not quite right. Okay, so, uh, so Vin, was that correct? Um, no. Okay, something wasn't quite right about it. Um, where, where was it that it wasn't correct? Like, where was it that it was sounding funny? It was sounding funny. The, the sort of in the beginning of the phrase isn't sounding quite right. Yeah, it's something yeah. having to do with that e doubling, right? Right. It's so like a little te- some technical issue there. Yeah, most of us, as long as we're familiar with what doublings are, most of us will know that um, that sounded kind of funny. For example, uh, for instance, doubling means how many sounds should we hear? Double. Two. Yeah, we should hear two <laughs> sounds when we play a doubling. That's, you know, at least as far as I'm concerned, that's why we call them doublings. So how many sounds are we hearing in this case? Several. Several. I would say, uh, you know, we're hearing three sounds. And so something's yeah. mushy there. So what would the next step be here, Vin? So we know, okay, we've isolated. Here's the E doubling. Uh, it's not quite right. I would, I would then just play the doublings. I would probably work on that technique, that technical piece, um, maybe in the context of the phrase, maybe not. Yeah, um, I would, I would do this. I would take it down. Um, I would work on that one bar, right, <clears throat> or just that one little segment going at the very beginning. Right, and I would try to break down exactly what I'm doing wrong. Um, so, uh, you know the E doubling is not correct. Well, how do you correctly play an E doubling? Are, are you asking? Yes. Like, <laughs> let's go. Let's go through the steps. So, well, I mean, you know, it's 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 one of these things uh, too. Like for yourself, if you're if you're listening to that and you see something's wrong, but you've there's another E doubling later on, and you've seemed to have played that right. So, uh-huh. so if you if you, you know you know how it's supposed to sound, obviously because you can play it, um, or you've heard it you before. Know, or you've heard it before, um, you know, you're going to have to sort of run through what you're supposed to be doing well, to what make that you, doubling happen. Let's go through it. What are you supposed to do with an E doubling? Um, there's a G grace note on, on, on uh, well, whatever note you're coming down. D, uh, D, D. Um, so you hit, you, on the E, there's a G grace note. That's right. And then, and then step two? And then there's an F grace note. On E. Or E grace, yeah, on E. That's right. So, um, Basically, I break it down into there's actually for me there's three steps in this. There's a step zero which doesn't really count, which means you can come from any note is step zero. And in this case, what note are we coming from? 
F. F. So step zero is we're on F and we want to play an E doubling. Step one is G grace note to E. Step two is F grace note to E. Right? And what we're hearing here is we're actually not playing. We're actually either you could call it adding in an extra step or you could say uh, we're not playing the steps properly. Because before we even play the G grace note to E, we're already on the, the note E. Which is, of course, not correctly how to play the E doubling. And, um, you know, this might take you, if you're brand new at piping, this might take you a while to figure out. Um, and that's okay. Spend the time to figure it out. Because then you'll have those skills later on. Um, to figure it out. So the, the next and time... As, and, as, and as a marginal note, this is where recording you're, you're playing and listening to it later comes in That's correct. very handy. That's right. If you, if you think you're playing it correctly, right? Remember, remember we said we're never going to leave a phrase until we can play it correctly. Well, if you don't have a teacher or something to run it by, you should definitely be tape recording it and double-checking and make sure you still think when you listen to it from the outside that you're playing it correctly. Um, so that's an excellent marginal note. Um, now, back to the E doubling. What we really need to do is we need to make sure we're going from F to E cleanly with a G grace note. And then we'll follow it up with the second step. And you can hear now, we hear two sounds on the E doubling. Okay? So now we've isolated the problem. So let's see if we can put it back into the phrase and play our E doubling correctly this time. Right? So um, now we're starting to play this phrase um, correctly. Um, now it doesn't always have to be it doesn't always have to be a technique technique issue either. Like uh, what's wrong with this? What was wrong in that case? Oh do that again. <laughs> Like something now, didn't sound quite right. Right, right. Now, now it's a more of a timing issue on the That's right. where you're placed, putting the technique. So in this case, it was a rhythmic timing issue where we rushed off the dotted note uh, on that first E, uh, and we, you know, before, and so we didn't give it the full value, and so the beat was thrown off. Um, so that's something you can evaluate on your own and work on it as well. So let's say hypothetically that now we've mastered a phrase. Um, and, you know, this could take, and, and this is really important to stress, this could take any amount of time. If you're a, um, if you're a newer player, um, it might take you a full hour or more of practice time. Uh, now, are you going to practice on this for the full hour? I don't know. It's, it's all, you know, dependent on how, much you, how long you can focus. But it might take us a really long time to master this phrase. But every second that you put into this is worth it. Because, um, and it's like you said, Vin, 10,000 hours before you become an expert. So a lot of, a lot of it, a lot of these hours are going to be spent figuring out how to improve your playing. Um, so don't leave this phrase until you can play it correctly. What would happen if I said, oh, that's close enough back when I was having that E-doubling problem? I said, oh, that's close enough. Let's just move on. What would happen? Well, you- you, you develop a habit to do that. You'd be doing that every time, and you would never That's right. work so on getting rid of it. It's not so much, you know, you might develop a habit. That would be the worst-case scenario. 
But at the very least, you have not taught yourself that skill. Uh, and what you have taught yourself is that close is good enough, right? Which over time results in what we very commonly hear around the pipe band scene, which is complete and utter mediocrity in all aspects, right? Like, you know, um, mediocre tone, mediocre musicality, and mediocre technicality. Um, and it all comes from, it doesn't come from the quality of your teacher. It doesn't come from the make of your bagpipes. It doesn't come from, you know, the fact that you don't have enough time to practice. What it comes from is uh, the notion that you've taught yourself that it's okay to be close enough. Um, and that's, that's the number one reason why you should never leave something until um, you can do it correctly. And if you how do you know you're overdoing it? Say what, what are the, some of the signs that you would you would seem to think like you know some you know it, maybe you're you're not as keenly a, a, attuned to what um, might sound correct and you're always second guessing it you know you're, you're you're hammering that phrase home and it's you know you got the e doubling down and then the timing issues sound like they're right but you're just not sure and you're just not convinced. So you keep hammering it, and hammering it, and uh, you know, are there signs that you would you'd say that you're that you're overdoing it? Um, uh, I don't think you can. I mean, I think um, uh, I think there are two things that might happen. Number one, you think that you are playing it correctly. Um, if you're not sure, or if you don't have a model to base it on, um, then you need to find a model. There are a million models out there that you can find. You can find a recording of the music somewhere. You can find um, a tutor book somewhere that might help you. Um, and the, the main thing that most people do is they either have a better piper that they know that can give them feedback, commonly in the form of a pipe major or a tutor or a teacher, right? Um, mm -hmm. These are models. So whenever you get to the point where you think you're doing it right, that well, you know, and the other model is um, solo competing, going and playing in front of a judge, and the judge will give you feedback. But um, you could argue that the whole reason that we play music um, is for some kind of feedback, right? So as soon as you get to a point where you're thinking you're playing music, go find feedback in areas that will allow you to improve, right? Now, the other, the other scenario is no matter what you do, you can't figure out how to make it sound right, right? Mm -hmm. Then what, you sh then what sh should you do? Well, then, yeah, then it's a matter of, well, I think that coming back to the models again, and then you're going to have to really get deeper feedback in the form of maybe uh, some corrective instruction. Or, That's right. So, um, again, so it's I, the same idea, right? If you, can't, if you can't figure it out, then still you should go look for feedback, right? I mean, regardless of what the end product is, you're going to want to share what you've learned with somebody mm -hmm. uh, and see, you know, um, I would say no matter how well you play something, and I know that a lot of the top bagpipers will agree with me 100%. It's no matter how well you can play something, um, you're always, uh, there are always different ways you can think about it, areas that could use improvement, um, and you're always hungry for more, um, you know, for more inspiration. Um, and so it's important, no matter what level you're at, to find that. Um, so here's 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 the million dollar question then after after using this technique. So if I um, answer this, you're giving me a million dollars. <laughs> well, I'll give you an IOU. 
Okay. Um, if, you, if you answer, if you if you you know you're using this method and you're you're sort of you know working on your phrases and you've gotten through maybe a whole march, maybe competition march or something, um, you know, but you still got an, an S and an R to get through, and maybe if you're in higher grades, you've got two you know two sets of those, um, as well as some band material. How do you structure your 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 days practicing to fit this kind of method in while at the same time making sure the rest of your material is working out? Uh, you want my honest answer? Sure. Never <laughs> never leave a phrase never leave a phrase until you can play it correctly. Okay. Uh, that's my short answer. Meaning, um, you really shouldn't have a lot of repertoire if you haven't mastered a small repertoire first, right? You shouldn't have mm-hmm. a, you shouldn't have a large repertoire until you've mastered a small repertoire. Right. Um, that theoretically. Well, uh, now, obviously, we're a lot of us are in the position where uh, you know we're in bands where we learn several tunes, and <clears throat> I would say this about that: never leave a phrase until you can play it correctly. So, um, let's say let's say you have ten tunes, um, and one of the tunes is Scotland the Brave. Well, um, learn Scotland the Brave correctly before you practice other tunes. Now, um, can, you know, if there are ten tunes in the repertoire, uh, and your pipe major says you have to memorize these ten tunes, well, I would recommend working really hard and learning them all properly. But that's not always in the cards, right? But um, practice Scout and the Brave until it's um, until you're playing it correctly before you practice other tunes, right? So you might um, you might have memorized these ten tunes, but you're, you're going to pick one and you're going to practice that one tune until it's correct, and then um, and only then should you move on to the next tune. Because you never want to teach yourself that, you know, taking shortcuts is uh, acceptable. Right. Well, I'm not even saying taking shortcuts. I, I know I'm thinking more or less more practical matters such as time, um, you know, where you've got a pretty healthy slate of, of, of material that's got to be um, up to speed, say, you know, for competition, um, solos, band, uh, and whatnot. You know, even if you're a street band, I mean, typical parade you'll play, um, you know, half a dozen sets of tunes that are a good three to five tunes in each set. So, you know, at some point it's all got to be sort of fresh rolling around inside your head. That's um, right. Well, as you, as you learn to practice better and better, um, this process will become uh, more and more efficient, right? But this is where so many players go wrong, is I have so many tunes I have to learn, uh, and so I'm just not going to practice any of it. I'm just going to run through all the ter- all the tunes improperly. Remember, whenever you learn one skill, so let's say we just spent an hour on the first bar of High Road to Gerlach. Well, now every time we come to an E doubling, how many E like how many tunes have E doublings in them? Uh, pretty much every single one. <laughs> yeah, I mean, you'd say certainly uh, a very vast majority of all bagpipe tunes have an E doubling in it, right? So if you yeah. never if you never pay attention to the e doubling, and instead you're just you know uh, jamming through tunes, it's not going to work out well for you. But now if we spend the time we need to spend on one part of High Road to Gerlach, um, and we get this e doubling thing sorted out, and we figured out, you know, it might not be perfect in other parts of the music, but now we certainly know how to make it perfect. 
right? We certainly know how to make it uh, so that it's correct. So now that time that we spent on that one small piece of music is going to benefit our entire repertoire, right? This is, you know, and this is where so many pipers go wrong and end up sounding not nearly as good as they could, right? right? In the second phrase of High Road to Gerlach, we have D throws. Right? D throws, it's one of the most ironic um, part, uh, one of the most ironic parts of um, pipe, uh, bagpipe playing is that the D throw is, uh, in, certainly in my experience, one of the most poorly executed embellishments um, in all of pipe music and all of, you know. And, uh, and yet at the same time, also one of the more common. Well, it's the, and, well what's the first embellishment that you learn in most of the tutor books? The first like full embellishment? Yeah. yeah. it'd be like D-throw. It's D-throw. So it's <laughs> ironic because it's one of the most poorly executed movements, but it's the first movement that most of us learned. It's the first movement that I learned, uh, for sure. Um, I know the Green Book and the um, Piping Center Tutor, it's always D-throw first. It's, all, it's very interesting. So if that's the first embellishment you learned, then why are you not playing? You know, the D-throw that sounds like this? <laughs> You know those ones, yeah, right? I do. Um, it's a, and in my opinion, is a byproduct of um, taking shortcuts, right? Um, and so that's why. So Vin, it's that's the that is the million dollar question, and I believe the million dollar answer is um, never, never leave uh, any segment of any tune until you can play it correctly. Never, don't move on. Don't do it. Make yourself learn it. And of course, over time, once you've mastered E doublings and D throws and all the other embellishments through the, their practical application in your repertoire, then you'll be able to move on to bigger issues like expression and phrasing. Okay. Um, the, does that make sense? I mean, that's the, it does. that's my thesis. It does. That's the thesis statement, which yeah. is. Um, I mean, I mean, you know, in here we're talking about phrases and things. I mean, if you've noticed something like, I don't know. I mean, does it all, do alternative methods in this kind of um, approach work? Like, you know, you've got e doublings that are a little bit wonky in, in when you're working on high road to Gearlock. Does it make sense to break it down into sort of a basic e doubling exercise and just play that, and then come back to the tune at some point? Sure. Does that achieve the same goal? Well, uh, that's that, what we you know, did. That that's what we did. Right, but I mean, if it, but in terms of just breaking it down within the context of the tune, never leave a phrase. Maybe you need to work on, say, maybe two or three embellishments, like D throw, E doublings, and F doublings. Sure. Um, I mean, you can always you can always uh, outsource to other um, to exercises, but I would say uh, I would say I do very little of that. I hardly ever I hardly ever use uh, exercises from outside of the given moment. Um, instead, I would just make one quick exercise of this moment, which we did earlier by going like this. Right? We might come into a similar problem later. Like, we might, we might come into... Uh, right? That might happen in a tune. And it's similar because we're coming from a quick note into an E-doubling. But I would, you know, but you're going to draw from the experience that you had 
uh, from the previous moment. And so to practice that might take some time, but it'll take less time. Are you with me there? So I'm, I'm, with you. I'm, I'm all, you know, exercises are great. They're certainly great theoretical exercises. For example, rhythmic finger work is, the, you know, practically the Bible of most pipe, uh, piping embellishments and technique. Um, but um, it's out of context. And you, even though you can play those exercises, it doesn't, mean you, it doesn't necessarily mean you can implement it in a tune. So I would start with making exercises out of your current uh, situation. You know what I mean? Got it. Mm-hmm. That would be that would be definitely what my approach is, and others may disagree. I mean, uh, and that would be great, uh, you know, to hear other points of view. So uh, we sort of we we basically covered what the bulk of of uh, this topic was about. Um, <clears throat> to summarize, um, this process, which is founded in the basic rule that you should never leave a phrase or or, or a segment of a tune that you're working on until you can play it correctly. Uh, correctly means um, uh, it's it's uh, played correctly to the best of your knowledge, which might not be your knowledge might not be extensive yet, um, but you know um, you're going to do your best to get it correct as far as you can tell, and you're going to exercise every means of making sure that it's correct, and then at that point, whether it's still not correct and you know it or you think it's correct, at that point you're going to seek out. Um, some sort of feedback, whether it be in a solo competition or a lesson with an instructor or a recording of someone else playing it. Okay. Now, this process requires a lot of patience uh, in the short run. Okay. So, like I said, in the beginning, when you first start to put your feet to the fire, it's going to take a while to, to get each segment correct. But in the long run, it's going to yield extraordinary, extraordinary results. Okay. So... <clears throat> Uh, it might seem like you're not getting anywhere, but this is the work that you need to do to reach a high standard of play. So when you utilize this technique, here are some things that um, are going to happen for you. Number one, you're going to be building skills that aren't just going to help that one phrase, but they're going to extrapolate across all of your repertoire. So we talked about E-doublings and D-throws. How many tunes have an E-doubling or a D-throw in it? almost every single tune, all right? So um, the skills that you build in each moment of a tune are going to extrapolate across all of your repertoire. Um, you're also going to develop a higher sensitivity. Um, you could argue the event, ultimately you'll, you'll develop the highest sensitivity uh, to what technique should sound like in its accurate form, right? So this is close to an E-doubling. It's close, but it's not correct, um, and figuring out why it's not correct is developing your sensitivity for what technique should sound like. Okay. Now, the third one, which I'll uh, just touch on briefly, is you're also going to accelerate your memorization. Okay. You're going to memorize tunes a lot faster than you ever did before because now we're combining repetitions uh, that you need to commit a tune to memory. We're combining those repetitions with the development of your technique. All right. So, Vin, yeah. Vin, are you satisfied? I'm satisfied. Um, so that's basically uh, um, my lecture that I gave uh, last week in, in terms of uh, my philosophy for how, how to practice so that you, you're actually successful. And, and uh, 
what are the odds that I'm going to go through all the motions I need to go through to run a marathon? <laughs> right? And realistically? Well, you, you can hear my tone of voice right now and you can say the odds that I, be, I will become a marathon runner based on the evidence that you have are, is low. And unfortunately, I would say that's true about a lot of pipers too. A lot of people that, I'm, that I know or that I teach, I can say in my head, not, hopefully not to them, that would be poor taste, but I could say the probability of this person become, becoming a successful piper is low. And it has to do with their commitment and their drive um, to, to develop their playing um, um, effectively and efficiently. Um, pipers that have a lot of drive, notice how the, the T word, talent, doesn't really factor in, in my experience, so much as it's your drive um, to produce great music and to do whatever it takes to get there that's going to dictate your success. And um, in my opinion, or in my experience, this is how I have achieved whatever level of success I have is um, you know, through a practice regime that, that makes logical sense. Yeah. Um, it's, it's amazing how you know, we, we all like to think that there's some sort of magic formula. You know, you, you know, growing up in the East especially, you know, we all go out dutifully go to workshops and find our instructors and play our competitions and looking for feedback. But um, we're all sort of you know, responding to this idea that there's something out there that we're missing, <laughs> that, that there's some magic formula that's going to you know, make, it, make it all make sense to us or something. I would take you know? it one step further. You know? um, I would take it one step further and I would say if, uh, if, if you have an instructor that um, is teaching you that there is a magic formula um, or if um, you know or if you know of instructors that preach a magic formula you should run for your life and don't look back um, because that's that's the most damaging concept imaginable uh, in, in it the is, world and, and it's pervasive and it sort of seeps into this sort of uh, overall I guess you know attitude that, that we all sort of collectively share you know it's like a collective mindset um, but it really does break down to some simple things you know some simple sort of logical steps that if you follow them and you do them, you know, you, know, you dedicate yourself to them, that they'll produce results. Um, yeah. And it, it, is, it is that easy. I mean, it's no, it's no coincidence in the drumming world. Um, it's no coincidence that uh, uh, Reed Maxwell has so many successful students and the name of his tutor book is, of course, Taking No Shortcuts, right? Uh, it's no coincidence that so many of his students or the people that – uh, he's influenced have become such great drummers. Um, and, uh, you know, I think that's, uh, Reed hit, hit it on the head with the title of his tutor book. And sure enough, he goes through all the fundamentals and, and teaches and makes sure that they're taught correctly and that they have a foundation of actual correct technique. Um, and, you know, to, and to be fair, the tutor books, um, in writing, in what they're saying to you in the tutor book is right online. They tell you, you have to get this correctly or else you're not going to sound good. Um, I think it's up to the individual to really be diligent and to do everything in their power uh, to n- never move on until don't, don't allow yourself to learn something in a mediocre way. Yeah. You think it's whenever, within everybody's ability if, if you've got the drive, say, you know, people, you, know, you sort of you fall in love with the bagpipes and you've got the drive no matter where you are in life that you could achieve success in some form as long as you're paying attention to this kind of method sort of breaking it down into this, these logical, this kind of logical approach to things. I, I, haven't met, um, I haven't met anyone 
um, that has really prioritized bagpipes um, that hasn't reached um, a high level of proficiency and a large degree of success. Uh, and that's in, I've met a lot of people in the higher levels and in, you know, like maybe your, maybe your aspiration is only to play in a decent grade three band. Uh, those who are really actually committed to that, um, can achieve that, um, and more plus some, uh, with a, with, with an appropriate approach. Um, yeah, because I mean, it's more or less a response to, you know, there's plenty of adult players out there who, you know, sort of struggle along in the early stages and um, lose confidence or, or just sort of, I don't know, you know, lose faith in themselves as well as, as, as their abilities to sort of pull it off as yeah. it were. I, I would say that's very rare. It's very rare that anyone, adult or otherwise, uh, would lose confidence um, if they're honestly evaluating what they're trying to do and if they're patiently... Uh, yeah. working on things one by one. Yeah. I would say that a lot of adults, um, you know, a lot of adults are seduced by the magic formula approach. Um, yeah. Oh, here, com- uh, here comes a teacher and they're coming to teach our band and they're going to give us a magic formula. What's interesting is they often manifest that themselves, right? Um, when I go to work with groups, you know, you often come across people where at least as far as, you know, as far as I can tell, they're, they're looking for the magic formula from you. And when you tell them, well, there's no magic formula here. Uh, let's, let's just work on your fundamentals bit by bit. <laughs> They're very disappointed uh, and resultantly, um, uh, you know, and resultantly, uh, you know, they don't often, they don't always come back. Yeah. It's very, I mean, it. it's hard. It's, it's a, it's a hard, frustrating thing to see someone right. who you could tell would it's, really it's, like to play bagpipes well, but. Um, yeah. And it's, it's, it's an ironic too, because, you know, you know, that, that you know that sort of uh, inclination to sort of give them that those fundamentals and give them that approach where you know it is you know sort of break it down to these steps and and and, and build the foundation kind of thing um, it comes from comes from a, 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 a your you know a, a basic mindset that you can do it <laughs> you're capable of doing this if if you've got the determination to do it and just follow these steps whereas you know not not only you know do some some adult players lose faith and and their confidence but they're the people teaching them regard them so, you know, as such, you know, like, like, oh, this guy will never be a good player. Oh, this guy, you know, can, will barely get through two tunes in this, you know. I really you know, don't it, like when people say that. I really oh, don't I don't like either. I, I don't like it either. And, 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 you, and you read it and you hear it and, and it's, you know, it's, it, it, it works its subtle, subtle magic on, on the player. That, you well, know, I mean, do people like it? Like, you know, you can say that, oh, that person will never be a good player. It's kind of like saying, oh, uh, that poor person will never get off the streets. Uh, I hate when people say that. It doesn't make any sense. Um, you know, there are a, a, a wide variety of possibilities um, that need to be explored by the individual. And definitely, if the teacher has that point of view, oh, my God, uh, that's awful. It's brutal, right? There are, there are infinite possibilities that need to be explored before you can say that person will never become a good piper. Um, uh, yeah. Then I think we should call it in there because uh, I have a student coming in here. It's coming up on 12 o'clock noon. Um, All right. But uh, thanks for being my uh, stand-in student population. I, I, I appreciate it. I'm, uh, I'm going to go apply my steps now. You're going to go climb your steps? I'm going to go apply my steps now. Ah, you're going to go apply your steps. Uh, I'm going to attack my phrases and not move until I finish them correctly. Yeah, well, and it'll take time. So you might not, you might not achieve success on the first try. Um, but you just keep working at it. That's what practice is.
Absolutely. And, uh, okay, well, thanks very much, everybody, for tuning in to another episode of Bagpipe Nation. And uh, as long as things go well, we'll be back here next week in some form or another with another uh, riveting, deeply philosophical topic. Excellent. All right, well, uh, thanks a lot, everybody. See you later. Good day. Good day. Good day. Good day.